This is Bail Street, Crime, Finance, and Everything in Between. Hosted by Ira Jettelson, bail bondsman to the stars, and Danny Moses of The Big Short fame, this is Bail Street. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Bail Street. I'm Danny Moses. I'm Ira Jettelson. We're packed on this episode as usual. Uh, you're going to hear a great interview with Fat Joe. Looking forward to talking to Joe's him. Joe's my boy, as you know. Absolutely. And uh, Joe did spend some time, which is in you know in prison, which is how you got to know he him, He did obviously. a little bit. Yeah, he did a little bit in Florida. We'll get to Joe in a minute, but uh, first, Ira, what do you got? Bale Street, on the street. In this week's uh, on the street segment, I got to tell you a great story about my daughter um, at uh, 12 years old finding a bail jumper. Um, as you know, I, I mentioned before, my daughter had some issues with my industry, um, does not like my business, very scared of the phone calls, the people I deal with. So she's going to summer camp and, uh, you know, up in the uh, Catskill area, and we call it the running of the Jews, where uh, during uh, visiting day, you probably see more Jews running towards their kids than you've ever seen before in your entire life. But before that, my daughter, the night before, is sitting in a room and uh, I'm going back and forth because I got someone to jump bail for 150000 And to be honest with you, I have nothing to secure this bond. So I say, Ava, what's going on? She's like, no, Dad, I'm just a little nervous about going to camp and da-da-da-da. And, and she goes, and you seem a little nervous because we're going to lose $150,000 and we might lose the house. I said, we're not going to lose the house. Don't worry about it. And she says, who, who, who jumped? I said, Ava, don't worry about it. She goes, no, no, Dad, who, who jumped? I go, Ava. You have issues already with my industry. Relax. Don't worry about it. She says, Dad, please. So I finally reluctantly gave her the name of the guy that jumped. And we were looking for this guy for about three months. We were in New Hampshire. We were in Jersey. We were in New York. We were in Pennsylvania. We couldn't find him. So long story very short, I give her the name of the guy. And she, the genius that she is at 12 years old with the technology we have, goes on Facebook of his Facebook page and sees that he is talking to some girl in North Carolina. And she goes, Dad, Dad, look. And I said, what's this? And I know nothing because I got a flip phone. She goes, he's talking to somebody in North Carolina, this girl. So I called my buddy up, Lenny, who was a U.S. Marshal, and he, he's actually helping me with this because I got two bounty hunters that could not find myself in my own house. And uh, Lenny says, hey, let me look into this. Lo and behold, she goes to camp the next day. She calls three days later, and we found him a week later in North Carolina. There was a shootout. Lenny's people, one guy got shot at twice. We found the guy. We brought him back to Brooklyn, and I was able to get off the bail. So during visiting day, during the running of the Jews, I see to my daughter, and the first thing out of her mouth is she goes, did you get him? I go, yeah, we got him. We got him, and I got off the bail. So in this street, uh, and, and all said and done, it was one of the, the best stories I could ever tell about my daughter helping me out my business. Plus, you brought her all the bagels and candy. She and got things. everything from Lester's because, yeah. you know, we, every Jew goes to Lester's. So we, we ended up uh, getting Lester's, getting her candy, food, this, that. And obviously, I got her a small little orange jumpsuit to make her feel comfortable. Recently, we got a chance to chat with our friend Fat Joe, and here is our conversation. Joe, tell people a little bit how me and you met. Well, I've been Ira. You know, he's the number one Bell's bondsman in New York City. Let's be clear. I met him through Ja Rule. I met him through Word of Mouth in the Bronx. Everybody talk about Ira's the guy you go to when you want to get people out of jail. I grew up in the hood, so, you know, often a lot of my friends get locked up, so I got to come to Ira to get them out, you know? And we become friends after that for years, and now I consider him a very close friend of mine. 
And it's beyond just bells or it's beyond anything like that. It's just a true friendship. You know, I want you to tell the audience, if you don't mind, when you remember when we came to the house and you had some issues on your own and we had to walk you through it. When I had my tax case, I came to you and you advised me, you know, how to go about it. I threw a couple of attorneys' names around you and you were like, look, this one's better than the other one. Show me how it would be. I thought going to you, a person who deals with it on a daily basis, because it's almost like I'm a frequent flyer, you know? So, <laughs> you know, I, I, I run into more turbulence than a person who normally flies once or twice a year. So, being that I was going through my thing, I might as well go talk to the guy who deals with it on a daily basis and get the information from Ira. And he was beyond helpful for me, and I appreciate it forever. Well, you know I love you, my brother. I do anything for you, and I, we talk about loyalty all the time when we're out together, and how people have been loyal to me, and how you've been loyal to me, and how I've been loyal to you. One of the questions Danny wanted to ask you, yeah, Joe, what what happened to this accountant, this horrible accountant? I hope he's hanging upside down somewhere. I hope he's alive, but I hope he's hanging upside down somewhere. Where is <laughs> yeah, this guy? Uh, well, well. He disappeared. <laughs> I so, think Joey Cuphead had something to do with that. I don't mean, I don't mean in, in, in a mafia way. Okay. I mean, like, you know, the guy testified for the government. So he was a Ponzi schemer. So he ratted on like 22 other Ponzi schemers in his firm. So nothing really happened to him. They said we couldn't do nothing to him. We couldn't sue him. We couldn't, you know, he was, you know, he was like off limits. You know, he gave in his whole firm. Did he steal money from his clients? Yeah, he was a Ponzi scheme. He stole money from me. That's crazy. You know, I was wiring money every single month. I showed the government the actual proof. Like, yo, we wiring it to him. And they was like, listen, it's our position that you as the leader of your household is, you know, responsible for what happens. So what most people don't realize is that even though you think you got a great accountant or he looks straight, or whatever the case may be, you have to at least try to understand what's going on with your taxes and everything. And you got to be a little more attentive to it because at the end of the day, if somebody makes a mistake, you're getting the blame. It's not even your accountant that's getting the blame. I was reading how stand up you were in the sense of approaching it, paying the fines, doing whatever you had to do, and very little time was served. My question was during that exact time period, I was on Wall Street and the whole global financial crisis was going on. And not one person went to jail from on all of Wall Street that did all that stuff. And I was wondering if you ever sat and thought about that, how crazy that is. I mean, you made an accident that some guy guided you the wrong way, yet people were purposely committing crimes. And that's crazy. Same things that make you laugh would be the things that make you cry. So what basically happens is we wait all our life to get famous and we work so hard to promote ourselves that they actually promote our success against us. So, like, it's a breaking news if I'm locking Fat Joe up right now. Well, of course. So now whoever's behind it is going to get famous, and it brings it brings them recognition. So they actually use your fame against you, you know? And, and it's the weirdest thing, man. And with Wall Street, you know, I got a funny story. It's <laughs> the same guy, I had the same entertainment attorney. The same guy who introduced me to this accountant who I trusted, he was my attorney for like 15 years, he took me into an office of a man named Richard Dreyfus. Richard Dreyfus had a building named after him in Park Avenue. 
He also was in Jaws. I was, <laughs> I was meeting, listen, Different. I was meeting with Richard Dreyfus the day the whole Wall Street thing went down. When, what was the first firm? No, Lehman? Lehman? Lehman or Bear Stearns? Lehman Brothers. Yeah. I was there when they announced breaking news, Lehman Brothers going down, this and this and that. I was in this man's office. I was dancing around naked of excitement, but go ahead. <laughs> yeah. But listen, I was there. And the guy turned around because he wanted me to introduce him to, like, Carmelo Anthony, a bunch of basketball players that I knew so that he could represent them financially. So he was like, you believe a bank like Lehman Brothers went down? This is amazing, this and this and that. Long story short is the guy didn't even sweat one whistle, nothing. He had to know he was going down pretty soon. But he saw the breaking news. It was like nothing to him, nothing. He didn't lose sleep, nothing. Next thing I know, like two, three months later, I see he went down trying to scam a guy in Canada. And then, not incredible, bro, but I happened, God put me in the room with this guy who's probably the second biggest Ponzi schemer in New York's history when Lehman Brothers went down, bro. That's unbelievable. That's just unbelievable. It's unbelievable. It's going in the fat Joe book. <laughs> unbelievable. Did you write a song about that, Joe? No, nah, I ain't write about it or song about it, but this is a truth. I promise you this is the truth. It's unbelievable that I had to be in this man's office when that happened. And when I seen him go down, I was like, yo, he had to know. When I was in his office and it was like, all right, shit's hitting the fan. You know, breaking news. Lehman Brothers, he had to know he was going down soon. Like, he knew at that moment, oh, wow, it's going down. Hey, Joe, let me ask you this question. We never really talked about it. You know, Danny brought it up as far as these Wall Street guys that have escaped prison time during that time. You did your time like a man because you are a man. Being inside where you were, did you meet any financial people that you did some time with? I met like four financial people, and these guys were in there for a lot of money. But they were doing some, they was doing some good time. They was doing four years, five years. But every one of them that I spoke to told me they kept their money. Really? When I went in there, I gave all my money. And Mind you, it was money that the accountant already robbed me for, Ira. I know, brother. So I know. I paid again. So when I walked in there, I had no debt to these guys. I, I gave them everything. But I was, in, I was working out with like four dudes. These was older white dudes. And they were straight up and down telling me, yo, I ain't give them a dollar. Like, I'm going to jail for four years. Yeah, I'm doing four years. But when I come home, I got my bread. So they're basically I saying like, it, it's worth doing the time to keep whatever money they stole. This is the difference, Joe, of you and these guys on Wall Street. Because I watched the video that I guess your wife posted when you got out early and you saw your daughter yeah. on Thanksgiving. That's about the coolest thing I've ever seen. And I know why you and I were bond so much because he has two girls. But watching that video brought yeah. me to tears. I mean, you got your priorities right. And these other guys don't. They're staying in to keep the money. Yeah. You'd rather give it all back to be with your family, and that says it all, Joe. Hey, man, we made it again, man. We will keep making it. You know, money, it's a necessity. We love it. But at the end of the day, money comes and goes. And as long as you're a hustler, you're able to make money again. You know what I mean? So I don't never really, like, hold on to something like, oh, man, this, because I know it'll come again. You know what I'm saying? So as long as I'm out here working, and providing for my family, that's more important than being locked up, you know. Joe, you're you're clearly a stand-up guy. I mean, taking care of your debts, taking care of your the, the bill that's due, making sure, you know, you, everybody gets paid that needs to. 
How did these guys get treated inside when they're going around talking about, I get to keep all my money? I don't think they bragged about it like that. They just knew Fat Joe was famous. They knew, you know, how I carried myself. So, you know, they could easily blend in in there. You know what I mean? If you Bernie Madoff and you're in the news all day, that's different. But they could blend in. You know, they talked to me because they knew, like, Joe's about getting money, you know what I'm saying, Joe? It was it was different. They just these just one on one conversations. It wasn't like they was going up to the blood members telling them, <laughs> Yo, I got millions of dollars somewhere. They ain't doing that. I was gonna say, do they lie about why they're in there? I would think they do, you know what I mean? Definitely child molesters lie about Oh yeah. They have to, Joe. It. They That's have to, else they're gonna go to sleep with a shiv in their back. <laughs> yeah, you ain't lying. <laughs> Those guys definitely lie, you know what I mean? One of the worst things happened to me in jail was I was going to church every week, like two, three times a week. And then one day the correction officer pulled me to the side and told me, yo, you know that the pastor's a child molester. He's in there for child molestation. So I never went back to the church again because I was like, yo, this is, this is unbelievable that the guy preaching to us is a child molester. That's amazing. Ira's always told me that the guys that go in, like this guy Nasser, that just he says he'll be dead in a, a couple months. Nobody stands for a guy like that in the prison. There's like a unspoken word, right, Ira? Well, you seen Jeffrey Jeffrey Dahmer. Dahmer. You yeah. Know, the problem is, the more heinous the crime, the more worse people they put you with. They can't even put you with nice people. No. <laughs> you know, <laughs> they can't put him in a jail with a bunch of doctors. They can't. He was raping little girls. They gotta put him in there with scum of the earth, and scum of the earth. Those guys don't care. They got to put him in mainstream population, Joe. That would be his only punishment right there. They put they put a guy like that. But unfortunately, you know and I know, a lot of the times they're going to have him protective custody because of something that could go wrong because they could be sued. But you know something? Sometimes guards fall asleep and things happen. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Ira, man, this guy, this guy was the devil himself, huh? Yeah, he's a bad dude, Joe. He, 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 he is a bad guy. He was I mean, raping that- little girls. You guys have daughters. That father that launched himself with the three daughters, you yep. wouldn't be able to Man, stop Ira. I would have did it in one second. No. The difference is I would have did it with a knife in my hand. I would have calculated <laughs> it. Absolutely. It would have been worth the stretch no. for me to do a couple years to get yo, to him. Let me tell you something about America. America's too uh, too proper. They're too, they're too respectful. Because I'm watching the news. And the news is reporting the father who lunged at him. The man raped three of his daughters, right? But you see, he, the only time he's ever going to get to get this guy because this guy's going life in prison. He lost his school. He tried to put hands on him. And they were like, yo, how disgusting. The parent of the three kids lunging at the guy. I'm like, what are you guys talking about? This guy raped his daughters. He asked the judge. He asked the judge if he could have five minutes in the room with him. And then he said, no, he goes, how about one minute? Yeah, and you know something? I I give the judge and I give give that jurisdiction a lot of credit because they could have arrested him and and brought him up on charges, and and they they didn't do that, and it's an emotional situation. Bro, they rape your kids. What are you supposed to do, man? Man, rape your kids. Hey, Joe, remember we were out to dinner, and we're not going to mention names at all because that's not what this is about, but we <laughs> talked about loyalty, and we talked about how, you know, when you were inside the letter that I wrote you and, and, and the people that wrote you and the people who were there for you and some people that weren't there for you and how important loyalty is to you and, and to your community and to your friends and to your family and to everybody that you supported, that's why you're all the way up again. That's why you came back, because of your loyalty and, and your heart, and that's why I 
I love being around you because you bring me to a whole new level. That, and you got me laid when you sang at Ira's son's bar mitzvah. My <laughs> wife went crazy. So, Joe, I want to thank you for that. Oh, you a big one. So. Listen, my brother, let me tell you something, man. It's at your darkest times, your darkest moments bring you the most clarity. You're right, what, brother. What I mean is sometimes God puts you in position so you can see if the people around you are really with you or really by your side are really good enough to be with you. And, you know, that's where you see who writes you a letter. You see who doesn't. You see, let me tell you something. When I was away, one of the most important times is when the mailman came with letters. And you could see the most hardcore guy, toughest guy, sitting in the back, 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 back. That he doesn't even expect a letter, but you see him looking and his ears are up, like hoping somebody wrote him a letter. I've seen that with my own eyes. Puts it all in perspective. So, Joe, let's take a step back. You're a karma guy. You have a great aura about you. I can just tell from talking to you, you make things happen for yourself. You have the right attitude on life. So let's back up to when you started playing at the Apollo and what happened from that moment where you just let it all hang out and being yourself and you got the big break on 98.7, I guess? I was in the streets, right? I was in the streets. I was making a lot of money, right? And they invented the RICO law. <laughs> so all my friends started going down 60 at a time, 50 at a time. Yo, you heard about the Watson crew? 76 of them got indicted. Yo, you heard about these? So I had always loved rap music, so I started telling myself, yo, we got to move. I got to get legit. I got to go at this rap thing. So nobody gave me nothing. I went to the Apollo Theater, and I remember I told all the hustlers all over the Bronx and Harlem that I was retiring, that I was going to be a rapper, and they all was laughing at me, talking about, yo, you crazy, Joe. <laughs> I humbled myself to the point if I went to the Apollo Theater amateur night. I went over there, and I seen all the competition. I was like, man, I'm going to come in first place. <laughs> so I won four weeks in a row. I came in first place. I met DJ Red Alert, who was the number one DJ at the time. He asked me for a promo. I gave it to him. He played it every week, and that would later become my first single that went number one in America. It's called Flojo. Yes, so, Flojo. Uh, that's how that's how my whole career came about. Hey, Joe, you know, you talk about the days you're growing up, obviously, with some really close friends like Jennifer Lopez, J-Lo, and, you know, a very good brother of yours who we lost, big pun, and how all the Bronx people stuck together. How was that important to you? Oh, man, you know, the Bronx is one giant ghetto. I figured this out after I went around the whole entire world. I realized if you make it out of the Bronx, I mean, you know, the record that goes, is up to you, New Year. But you make it anywhere. God forbid <laughs> if you make it out of the Bronx, <laughs> you should have a corsage on your suit every day. Like, you should have a flower on your suit every day. Like, it's so hard, man. So, you know, when we do make it out of the Bronx or we make it successfully, you know, we, we salute each other in an amazing way. Like, you got this new young girl, Cardi B., you know, I don't know her like that. I met her a couple of times, but I'm so happy for her because I know the obstacles. I know what she has to overcome to get to where she's at. So there's a level of respect and admiration when you know somebody else coming from the Bronx. So, you know, coming from the Bronx is a real tough place to make it out of and be successful. It, it seemed like Brooklyn and Queens were where a lot of the LL Cool J was coming from at the time. That was a lot of, that was a big in influence for you? Oh, man, well, LL Cool J was my idol, you know what I'm saying? LL Cool J and KRS-One. 
But Queens, you know, they had Russell Simmons, the godfather of hip-hop. You know, this guy was like, you know, he was the first music mogul. So, you know what I mean? For some reason, Queens was a lot more connected to the powers that be than the Bronx. You know, the Bronx started hip-hop, and then we had like a real drought for years and years and years till about now that we that we're back. Like, you got Fat Joe, you got French Montana, you got Remy Ma, you got A Boogie, you got Cardi B. You know, a lot of people from the Bronx are really shining right now. You know, Joe, earlier you mentioned that if you hustle, if you work hard enough, you can always make the money back. And so you have a new podcast coming out. You have a new album that just came out too, right? <laughs> we working, we closing up a new album. It's called Family Ties, me and my brother Dre. The single's called Pick It Up. It's amazing. And it's going to be a real big song, God willing. And the album will be out in spring. I did a podcast with title exclusively on title is called Coca Vision. And what's crazy is I'm, like we built the set where it looks like El Chapo's tunnel <laughs> going from Mexico <laughs> to Texas. Like, El Chapo's you know, got a little bit of a problem right now. Do you did you bail out you know, El Chapo? That joke no. so uh-huh. crazy, man. I'll tell you something. They tell me all the time what you know, I did an interview like two weeks ago and the guy said, Man, your music's so violent. Like when you gonna stop being violent, when you gonna be like, you know, a nice guy rapper. I said, Listen man my music is entertainment. You should judge me as being a father, being a great man, being a provider to the community, opening businesses in the community. Don't judge me by my music. I ain't no different than Quentin Tarantino or, you know, Steven Spielberg. My music is for the therapeutic. You know, besides that, judge me for who I am in real, in real life. So it seems like a guy that hasn't done everything that you have and kind of maybe has gone the wrong direction is 50 Cent which I guess you guys, have you guys made peace with each other or is there still some? Yeah, we've been made peace. You know, 50 Cent, you know, he's doing big big things in Hollywood. You know, I wish him and Ja Rule, because Ja Rule's my brother too, could make some peace one day, you know. Maybe uh, I could broker that one. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe I can get some Bitcoin in the room for 50 Cent and I'll get Ja to come, make it work. Yeah, 50 Cent was bankrupt and all of a sudden he found some Bitcoin. Yeah. Yo, let me tell you something, 50 Cent is slick. I mean, I don't think he ever went bankrupt. You know what I mean? I don't I don't think he ever went bankrupt. I think he did it as a, like, it's a Wall Street move, bro. Yeah. <laughs> Somebody told him the, more, the Wall Street move. He never looked like he was hurt. No, he, you know what I mean? he, no, went, he no. went bankrupt the same way 45 yeah, goes bankrupt. Yeah the, <laughs> yeah, the guy put money in vitamin water. He got a percentage of vitamin water. It sold for billions. I don't know where, you know, how he claims he could ever have lost that money. He went so. from 50 cents to 49 cents. That's about it. Right. <laughs> yeah, that's all it is. I remember one time I felt so bad for Mike Tyson, right? I am Mike, and, I, you know, everybody was saying he's going bankrupt and all that. And one day I was chilling with him and I was like, yo, Mike, man, you know, I'm sorry. He was like, you know, but, you know, bankrupt for me is like, you know, 20 million. You know, I used to have 400. I'll go bankrupt right now. I only got 20. <laughs> so I was like, damn, he's still rich. <laughs> yeah. That- <laughs> Until he lost that bet and put that tattoo all over his face. <laughs> oh, my God. Right. Like, I mean, you know. Mike Tyson is a whole different animal. I love Mike Tyson, man. He's such a beautiful guy, man. I got an ill Mike Tyson story, right? One day I was shooting a video and I wanted Mike Tyson to be in my video. So I wanted him to just stand behind me and, you know, I am Mike. This is when he first came out of jail. And I got his number, personal number. And when I called him, I was like, yo, Mike, i never forget. I was driving through Central Park. I was like, yo, Mike, what's up? It's Fat Joe. And Mike Tyson tells me, Fat Joe, what's up, my brother? What's up? 
you need me, man? What you need? A million dollars? You need a million dollars? I was like, no, Mike. He was like, nah, nah, I'll give you a million dollars. And I was like, I was like, nah, Mike, I want you to be in my video. But I'm not best friends with Mike Tyson. And I really realized that people was taking advantage of this man when he had all that money. Because for a guy like me who ain't talked to him in a year or two, the first thing he thought was, he got to give me a million dollars. That's terrible because all he probably thinks is that everybody's trying to grab from him. And there's Mike. Mike did three years for that alleged rape situation out in Indiana. Let me tell you something. I have a boxer story for you, Joe. I don't know if you've met Evander Holyfield before, but when the Super Bowl was in Atlanta like 18 years ago, I, somehow I ended up in his limousine. I was living down in Atlanta, and there was a stitching of an image of him in the limousine, and it was like on the leather. And I, I said to somebody, I didn't ask Evander, I go, what is that? They go, that's an image of Evander. And I said, who who did that? They go, oh, one of the guys is an artist, and he probably, all I could think of was he charged Evander Holyfield $100,000 to stitch an image of himself in his limousine. Probably charged him, he charged him more. Exactly. You know what I mean? so, so what happens is, you see these guys, there's some of these rappers that get these costumes. Like, there's a rapper named T-Pain. Another guy who's beyond talented but hurting right now because he, he spent all his money. But this guy will wear these outrageous costumes that look like, what's that in the circus? The guy with the top hat. What you call a guy in the circus? He, his image was being the circus guy. The, the guy with Siegfried and Roy, you know, the guy with the, with the outfits and... And he hits the tiger to do the trick. Yep. This guy, on a regular day like tonight, you will walk in a restaurant, let's just say Houston's, and T-Pain will be dressed like a circus guy. Yep. And I remember I used to look at him like, yo, who sells him these outfits? <laughs> and how much he, he should be in jail, that guy. guy. For the one of the kind, purple and pink. Probably your accountant. It was probably your accountant <laughs> that did that, too. Or Richard Dreyfus. Maybe that Richard Dreyfus, not the actor, but the other Richard one. Richard Dreyfuss. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> so, Joe, what's, what's your new album? What, talk about your new album it's coming out. Family Ties, it'll be out of the, the spring. In April, the single's called Pick It Up. It's going to explode around the country. We just dropped it like a week ago. And I'm super excited, you know. That's awesome. Who is on the album with you? Right now, it's just me and my brother, Dre. Dre is one of the biggest producers in rap music. He's one of the, the duo. It's called Cool and Dre Super Producers. So Dre's always been behind the scenes, and I've I talked him into you know doing the album with me and getting in the front. We dropped a single a couple of months ago. It went top five in America. It's called So Excited. So we said, yo, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. We win it. He's you just know? not a doctor yet. <laughs> no, he's not a doctor. <laughs> when you put that doctor before the Dre, yeah. you add a billion. <laughs> exactly. Hey, JoJo, I'm going to come on your podcast, so when you're ready, you give me a shout. I need you, Ira, because I got to talk about you bailing out Bernie Madoff. Ja Rule. Berlin. Plaxico. No, no, bailing out the IMF. What was the IMF? Dominic Strauss-Kahn. I thought it was oh the IMF. Oh, my God. Yo, you got Dominic out of jail. How about Cat Williams? Remember Cat? Cat Williams. You got DMX. The, oh, my. Uh, yeah, Earl's got some issues right now. Hopefully, it works out for him because I, I love Earl, man. I love Earl. I just hope he gets man, himself he's together. He's guy. Oh. He's just like, you know, some people. Let me tell you something. We'll end it with this, right? You know. When you seen the guy, the guy, the movie Blow, the guy Georgie from Blow was getting locked up, and he told the judge, what's wrong with these little plants? They're just plants. 
It's just a couple of plants. They were like, no, those are marijuana, bro. You're going to jail. Right? <laughs> and it's crazy because some people see the world differently. And right. he's a little confused, man, and he looks at the world differently. And he's technically a great person that wouldn't harm nobody. But, you know, unfortunately, you know, these ain't the rules we live by, you know? You're right. Well, listen, I love All you, right, man. man. Thank you so much. I love you, Ira. We're going to go to Rayo's when you come back into New York. We're going to go to a Yankee Woo! game, a Nick game. We're going to rock it live, all right? And Joe, th- Joe, I'm going to put your music on later. Maybe I'll get late again, my wife. I'm not sure, but I'm going to give it a shot. <laughs> love you, man. Hey, listen, grow, grow a beard. You might win. Exactly. <laughs> all right, Joe. Bye. All right, my brother. Thank you, man. Bye. That'll wrap it up for this episode of Bell Street. You can subscribe to our podcast at bellstreet.com or any other service that you use to download podcasts. We'll see you next time on Bale Street. I'm Danny Moses. I'm Ira Jettleson.